Hello, how you doing? I'm Craig Parkinson. You are listening to the Two Shot Podcast. Sit yourself down, pop the kettle on. We're going to have a nice old chat. Who's it with this week? I'm going to tell you right now. How the devil are you? Yeah, it seems... It seems rather redundant asking that question, considering uh, you know everything, the 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 whole thing, the bleakness of everything. But I've been doing it for three years and asking you that question, and I'm not going to stop now. Otherwise, we'll probably get emails saying, "Craig, why didn't you ask that?" To be honest, and I don't want that. I want everything to be as easy as possible because, let's face it, life isn't easy at the moment, so we've got to try and find the pockets of goodness, the snatches of the great, and i tell you, there's a couple of really nice things that I did. I haven't sat down and watched anything for for ages, really, and New Year's Eve, I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have some champagne, pop to Aldi, got some champagne, and... I watched Little Women, directed by Greta Gerwig, starring Saoirse Ronan, and Laura Dern, and Timothy Chalamet. I don't know why I said it like that. Timothy Chalamet. Um, it's... I said it to a friend of mine. I, scene for scene, pound for pound, performance by performance, one of the best films I've seen for ages. Or maybe I was feeling... All New Year's Eve and cuddly, and that's kind of what I wanted. But maybe that's what you need to do. Far be it from me to tell you. But, you know, go for what you need at the moment. And it was a great comfort. I loved it so, so much. Um, yeah, so try and find the greatness, I think. I think. Don't listen to me. What do I know? Look, we're all on our own path, aren't we? My God. Um, but we thought we would kick this year off with a brilliant interview so that's what we're doing I've been a fan oh I didn't say this to him because um I don't think he would have dealt well with a compliment um and it, look this is an episode with uh, Jack Loudon who yeah I've been a big fan of for ages you you might have seen him on stage in the National Theatre of Scotland's brilliant Black Watch or at the Donmar in Measure for Measure um, or in the stage version of Chariots of Fire. But you'll definitely have seen his work in the Steve Merchant film Fight With My Family, which was brilliant, uh, as Morrissey in England is Mine. In War and Peace on the BBC, and most recently in the first film of the Small Axe series, directed by Steve McQueen, Mangrove, again, which he was brilliant. Let's face it, and I would never tell him this, I would not want to embarrass him, he's not really putting a foot wrong at the moment. Um, and he's great. So I was really thrilled when he said he would come on and it was the first time we met this afternoon and he was up the road and I was down and 
yeah, it was when things go right, they just flow, and this flowed, and it was a joy. So I'm as much a fan of him as an actor uh, now as I am of him as a person. It was great. I loved it. It was a joy. So I thought we'd just get down to it. Should we? Yeah? Okay. Well, this is episode 140 of the Two Shot Podcast, the new one of this year. And there's going to be many, many more. It's with the great, the very lovely, the very chatty Mr. Jack Loudon. Enjoy, and I shall see you at the end. So he had a big stookie on, and but we had to keep shooting. You guys shut down, I think, or something like that. We had to shut down for... Um, God, it, it felt like ages, but I think it was about... It was like four, four or six weeks, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it was... We were in a park um, on the other side of Manchester playing this, this game of football. And I, I remember saying to someone, where's the sort of the stunt sort of coordinator? Because it's a bit rough and tumble. It's all quiet. Yeah. And I was just on the sideline. I know nothing about football, maybe. But I was going, this looks precarious, to say the least. And I seen Kev sort of rush in. And then they went for another take. And I went, I've got a bad feeling about this. And then all of a sudden, snap. Jesus Christ. And then it it turned up. It turned up in on the... We can beep that out. I'm not going to give them publicity. Within minutes and there was some guy in the bush just sort of taking loads of photos bloody hell yeah he 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 literally he he went back to the uk because we were shooting in ireland and he came back he's like oh i've got a bit of a problem jack what and he's like look at my arm and it was in a stucky and then we had to shoot shoot still shoot with him and put him in like a long massive long jacket like he looked one of those like police dog training guys like, he Brilliant. just has, like, a massive forearm. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it worked. But, yeah, no, he's great. No, there's, there's a whole bunch of them. Yeah, I love I just, I, I love that. We watched that, I think it was, like, the first or second week of first lockdown. Mm. Yeah. Oh, it was great fun watching that. Yeah. Beautiful to look at. I mean, it really sort of transports yeah. you, especially for someone like me who knows next to nothing about <laughs> football and and has to pretend that he knows exactly what he's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but speaking of football, Jack, that was high on your list of priorities when you were younger, if I'm right. Yeah, I, I, I mean, absolutely. I still, I've always said it, that if, if someone could come along now and give, say, you could play professional football tomorrow, but you'd have to give up acting, I, would, I wouldn't even think about it. I'd do it in a heartbeat. Would yeah, it's it's still there. The fire's still there for you. Yeah, and it's it's sort of when I was younger, it was just like oh, because I just want to play football. And then as I've gotten older, and the more acting that I've done, I mean, I've I've acted, I've acted in in one way or another since I was quite young though. But the older that I've gotten, the more I've realised what it is that I've it find that's missing in our profession. For me, maybe not for loads of other people, is that sort of un- the, the unknown. And even though in football there's only, you know, three outcomes, there's win, lose or draw. With with what we do, I just feel like there isn't. I feel like I know what's going to happen. And I get I get quite bored quite quickly of that. 
um, whether it's on stage or screen, and mm. that the buzz they must get, any professional sportsman or athlete must get from going out and having something to achieve, something to fight for, and then the the sort of reverse buzz of not getting it. You know, there's the closest we get is that if you if you're under like enormous time constraints on a shoot or something, and you you and you go and you you know what it's like. You'll stand about and go, oh, we fucking got it before the light disappeared. Yay! You know. <laughs> but then if you did if you didn't manage to get it, if you're on something with a lot of money, for example, then two days later someone comes in and goes, we're going to get a chance to do that again in two weeks. And it's kind of like um, the safety of our profession really bores me sometimes in the way that um, sport. Uh, doesn't you know the, the sport has that you know all or nothingness about it and I think the older I've gotten the more it's translated into that desire to still play football just to feel that buzz oh my god yeah but yeah but then to counterbalance that with being any sort of sportsman or athlete of any kind there's a there's a small window of yeah. opportunity yeah. to to raise your game and then it's taken away and it's yeah. It's I've, done. You're, repl- I, you're replaced. I've started doing that recently. I think it's because I turned thirty. I turned thirty this year, and I, I, I've always sort of gone, um, you know, aligned myself with footballers of my age, you know, and gone right. Well, such and such is twenty nine, so he's considered mm. towards the end of his career, and so I'm always like, you know, I've got another five or six years of being able to run around, you know, on on films or or on on stage. And then my body will pack in, but my body won't have been under anywhere near the strains that they have. And my, no, of course. But my my brother has to. My brother's a ballet dancer, mm. and he has to deal with that. He's twenty eight, um, and he he's already started. I mean, I mean, maybe two three years ago he was doing it about um, what the hell he does when his body knackers. Uh, this is Callum, right? This is Callum. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. He's mad fit and like sinewy and whenever whenever he comes home you know you feel like an absolute you know unit in comparison to him because he's just so fit and but he's he's having to deal with that he's like sat about going what what the fuck do i do i'm like i really don't know (laughs) i don't know what's the average what's the average shelf life of a does it change from a, a, a male ballet dancer to a female ballet dancer um I, I don't think it does, no. I think um, it, it's it's just the same as any kind of professional sport. I think it's once you're in your mid-30s, you're kind of... People around you begin to think, right, he's on, he or she's on their way out. Um, mm. So he's got he's got maybe like six, six years left of his body being able to cope. But then you get like massive like exceptions to the rule, like Sylvie Guillem... The woman, I think she danced in her like mid forties or something like that, and my yeah. god, like she could fucking move. Um, but yeah, he has to. That that is coming to hit him straight in the face now as to what he does. But I don't know what he does to be honest. I don't think he does yet, which is quite exciting, but also pretty terrifying. But you were saying about that you get bored quite easily. Mm. Do you not find the precarious nature of being an actor and the the sometimes lack of control that's not given or taken away can be quite exciting as well as being frustrating yeah i mean i i do i um the the other thing that i've dealt with a lot recently um in my in my career is is 
realizing that maybe that it's not boredom and I'm using the wrong word. It's it's that I don't have, I don't feel as though I'm contributing enough to the, f- the film or project by simply just, you know, getting the rap on the door every every three hours to come and do something for 45 seconds. I think it's more that. I, I feel sort of un, unfulfilled with that. And mm. um, I also, <laughs> ever since I started on screen, which was not was quite quite late on for me, was like 24, 23, 24. Um, so not that long ago. I've just been constantly, I find them very frustrating places to be for me because I just get very jealous of people that are walking about constantly fucking busy constantly doing things um, and can also stand back and look at what they've done you know because what we do is so it's so about us we are our own sort of our product we are we are our own mistakes and yes you can watch the film back or the take back or whatever um, but I get very jealous of people that are constantly actually making something and they can stand back like a director does or whatever and um, it's so it's I realized quite early on when I started in film, that that's what I want to do is go into directing, um, which is what I've decided is what I'm working towards in a roundabout fashion d- right. to do. Um, just, just, just because I, I just get, je- I get jealous. I get so jealous. I get when they go, when you get told to go back into your little house, you know, uh, your little hen coop and wait there for a while. Um, I stand with my door open on on, on unit bases. I've always, I'm that guy that's always got his door open and has stood at the door mm. um, like a cockerel waiting to come down. And um, sometimes we'll just ask people, "Can is there anything I can do?" And, and uh, because I get, I just can't cope with it. <laughs> <laughs> Have you always been like that as a person, like even like as a kid? Um, I've always had a sort of inherent feeling of guilt of whatever situation I'm in, or. Um, it's it, there's a restlessness for sure um, that has sort of uh, not always been acted upon, which is a sort of lazy restlessness, if that's a phrase. Mm. Like I just feel I very rarely sit down on my backside and go, I've earned that. Um, where I, I I am working towards it now, I think that I I'm actually going, I, I'm earning my sitting on my arse far more. Um, um, but also at the same time learning to sort of go, no, it's quite nice to to not be sort of working towards something. But um, no, I've, I, I, I have always had that. I've always had that, that the feeling of like, there's something, um, there's something I should be doing or I'm, I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. And I don't know where that comes from and I don't know what you call it, but I've, yeah, I've always had that. Yeah. Which is even harder to uh, cope with and deal with, certainly during the past year, when yeah. to sit down and, and read a book and you, you go, you get a few pages and you go, shit, surely there's something I should be doing. I shouldn't, have yeah. I earned this to sit down? Well, there's fucking, there's nothing else we can do. It's what I'm being told to do that. Yeah, it's, but it's quite, um, I mean, you've probably found that with, with a lot of other people you've spoken to during this is that, with the lockdown thing, it's kind of been you've been given a license to to not worry, to not panic. In a certain extent, I, I, as an actor, I don't mean mm. I mean everybody else, my God, but as an actor in particular, um, to not worry because I mean, you know, there must be arts council bodies and producers and things must just have been inundated this year with actors who've gone. I've written. 
and you know I've written my screenplay finally mm. um, you know and there's probably like 90% of it's horse shit but there's yes. probably some bit that's great um, but I, I found it quite nice I felt like right okay I've given my self permission I don't have to do that even though I've done one or two things like that during lockdown um, commissioned something and half written something and what you know I, I have done I've, I actually have done quite a lot but I've also managed to go no don't you don't need to do anything because nobody else is yeah in our prof- in our profession, Christ, I mean, you know, in the world, there's a lot going on. But in our profession, um, and that's also easy to say as somebody that's, you know, sort of jumped over that magic line that you we all want in our profession, where you can choose and when not to work. I've just managed to jump over that line recently, um, which will probably I'll have to jump back over soon anyway. But um, it's isn't it a, isn't it a constant case of jumping back and forth? Yeah. All, all, all the time. It seems to me, uh, and obviously we're talking about our profession That's because that's where we have our knowledge, that's all we can really speak about, but it, it does seem a very back-and-forth profession and that, you know, people do talk about the flavour of the month it's because it's true and it happens. Yeah, it, I, I, it, it really does happen. And I think, um, you know, it's it's been wonderful... I've been doing this, what, about, like, 10 years, and it's been quite interesting watching people become flavours of the month or then suddenly they're not or whatever. I think I've roughly managed to be, you know, there or thereabouts and not... I, 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 I mean, I say that, and now I've just signed on to do something that is something I've been trying to sort of avoid in a way for, for ages, Um it's quite a big commitment um but it's been quite interesting to watch people do that and learn from their experiences of running full pelt at, at, at any opportunity in front of them as soon as they get a little bit of fire behind them and running really really fast at it and then i sometimes regretting it or sometimes you know it taking them somewhere they didn't know um yeah it is precarious i i i don't know if i'm one of those people that's like oh i like that it's precarious. I don't think I like that, you know, and I think a lot of people don't. I, I, I don't, you know, and it's not necessarily more precarious, I think, than a lot of other professions. It's interesting. I, when I was younger, I, I, I had the, I had the um, opinion that actors were fannies. Right. Even though when I started acting, I had this sort of arrogant streak in me of shut up. When actors, when you heard actors moan, when you heard actors moan about anything, Mm. Even though I, when I first started being an actor, I was sort of, um, I was like, shut up. You know, what, what are you moaning about? Really? What, what are you moaning about? And, or what, what have you to moan about? Yeah, what have you to moan <laughs> about? And just, I, I, it's because of where I came from, the state, I came from amateur operatics. And so right. it, was, it was taken deadly seriously in many ways. But um, there was no, you know, there was no wank spoken. There was no method. There was nothing spoken about. It was just people who wanted to do it from all walks of life. Like I was on stage with teachers and police officers and whatever, just or Christ teachers that were teaching me at school at that point. They were, I was like in a chorus line stand, stood next to them, you know, that kind of thing. And mm. so then when I got into the profession and, and with all of its um, caveats of sort of weirdness and, to the different levels of how seriously people take it. I, I, I was sort of outwardly quite arrogant of shut up and just fucking go on with it. Like, who cares? You really, you need another take to do that? Really, you need that? And 
I, it was a quite sort of a detrimental, I think, to me, uh, attitude of actors and myself. And, I, and slowly over the past 10 years, I sort of started, I think it's, I, I, produced, I produced a film last year, like I say, and I've always started to, to sort of chuck myself behind the camera whenever I can. And it's weird, it's totally swung the other way where I now have this huge respect for actors in their work, in their work and the moment of work. Outside of the moment of work, I've got not a lot of sympathy for actors. But in the moment of work, when they turn up and do their work, I have this enormous respect now that I didn't. And I think they really are the lightning in the glass that needs to be protected. You need to protect them at all costs, you know, within reason and as long as it doesn't mm. affect everybody else. But it's a ma this massive swing. I used to sit there like half cut when I was like 19 at drama school, sat with like all the, all the other guys in my drama year at drama school and everybody talking about this and that. And, and I would just sit and go, who fucking cares? Just turn up, pull that face, look over there. <laughs> you know, if someone needs to move a light, you get out the way. Get out the fucking way and let them move the light. And now I'm like the, the, the complete opposite. And I'm like, do they need to be moving that light now? You know, <laughs> yeah. it's weird. It's, it's, but yeah, it's, it's amazing. I've seen that massive change in me. It's weird. But it's probably only because you've moved perspective that you can see. So you've got into another comfort place, which is behind the camera, and you, you've just got a different vision of it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's when you get to see what is actually prioritised quite often on film sets um, and how rarely, you know... I mean, it sounds like a stupid thing to say, but it is how rarely actors or the actor's performance, sorry, is actually prioritised. When, to me, when I watch film, um, you know, I, I appreciate a beautiful shot and I appreciate an amazing soundtrack and wonderful lighting, but all I ever look at is what's in the middle of the frame. Mm -hmm. And if the performance... I'm totally, totally, as a, an, as a watcher, I'm totally led by performance, 100%. And... Um, I get uh, but, sorry. But sometimes you, sorry mate, sometimes you can see that when you're watching a film or a piece of television that it's not about the performances, it's about the director's vision. So then it becomes uh, a bit of a masturbatory affair with <laughs> how how beautiful this shot is. Look what I did here. Look at this clever segue. To me great but again, with you, it's all about performance, lad. Exactly. Service, servicing the scripts and the characters. Exactly, and I think. Um, but I also think that that opinion of mine has come from chucking myself behind the camera as much as I can. But also, I think it's quite led heavily led by my own deep insecurities about me as an actor. And I think if if I felt if I felt more secure in my because my, my girlfriend's an actor and she she's done it since she was very young. And she's the complete opposite. She, um, she when she acts, she she uh, revels in all of the other noise that goes around, and 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 I've continued to be envious of that, that. That I want to feel that sort of peace on set and feel that security that I that you can do anything. Because um, like when I work on stage, I have that that like you know if a light was to fall on the stage, I'd almost sort of revel in that when I get on stage because I feel so so secure on stage that I just you, you you fucking beg for things to go wrong on stage I remember I did a thing I, I did a play once been doing it for ages and that's also the thing of doing it for over and again and there was a a, a champagne I had to pop a champagne bottle and you know you just build you, you know what it's like you just get in a muscle memory and 
I'm halfway through this monologue in the fucking champagne bottle. I was amazed it, didn't, it took that long, actually. It didn't pop. But the whole, the whole rest of the monologue was actually, um, it was resting on me having popped this and talking about what I was drinking. And I didn't, I don't panic. I just, I sort of reveled in it because something had gone wrong. Something was unpredictable. Some, some, something. Yeah. And it's amazing when you watch, and stage actors in particular, they, you see them all sort of dive. If something, if something, if a coin rolls out of an actor's pocket on set, on a stage you see actors like fucking cats with a ball of wool because all they want to do is use it they just want to run on and use I, I, I want to be the one that gets to use the coin I want to do something sort of like Brando-esque with a glove in, 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 on the waterfront I want to do it but I, and I don't have that on a film set um, I, I stand about and I notice all of the, the North Face jackets and the guy with the big pole with a muff on the end you know um, so I uh, I think my opinion of it is massively rooted in, in my own deep set insecurity when I'm on screen. Yeah. Do you, do you mentioned about insecurities of you as an actor. Do you mean what, exactly what you mean? Your insecurities of you as an actor from what perspective? As from uh, from performance level, or do you mean the perspective of how you're seen to be, quote unquote, an actor? Oh, uh, I mean, I guess, I guess it's 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 it's. A, I mean, it, it would all be sort of performance. Um, do you watch back, Jack? N- no, no. I'd, I've, I, I do watch, you know, if I go to like a premiere or anything like that, and I've recently made a decision to not watch, to try not watch even that. Um, and it's not because I watch it and I go, oh, Christ, you know, mm. what a lot of shite, Loudon. I just watch it and go, because I, I just watch it and I go, oh, it's just me in a wig. And... Because you you know it's like like you, you like I just finished playing um, Siegfried Sassoon, and spent so much time reading all of his stuff, and it was so fascinating to read about him and imagine yourself as him. That's the other thing I've 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 realised as well. The older I've gotten is how valuable. It, it sounds like something you're taught on day one, but how valuable imagination is as an actor, and how much I love living in my own imagination, and also how much since a kid I have done that, is lived in my own imagination. And not necessarily meaning like running about building like a treehouse and pretending that I'm on like top of a ship. I would literally just sit in any situation I was found myself in, you know, whether it be in a car or, you know, I don't know, even at a theatre and watching a play when I was younger, I'd sit in the theatre and I would just imagine myself um, as like the the like the general manager walking down the middle and telling everybody to get the fuck out because there's a fire. Um, I, I just sort of lived in my imagination. I was definitely one of those people that would imagine, you know, telling someone that I love them or like, um, you know, spinning a girl around and dipping her and kissing her mm. and then cut to the girl walking up to me and me going, <laughs> and then her walking off. You know, I wouldn't do it. So I lived in that sort of... Um, I did live in that imagination and I've realised how how valuable that is as an actor because you have all of that noise around you on a film set. Um, yeah, I've forgotten what the question was. So do, you th- do you think, as the years have gone on for you as an actor, the love for it is diminishing because of the passion behind the camera is is growing? So there's a, there's a counterbalance or... Yeah, it's. I, I wouldn't say my, lo- my. I wouldn't say my love for it is is diminishing. It's. I think it's what it always was. I think. Right. I think I've just realised what it is that I loved about it, 
um, and it's not necessarily served um, by being on screen, but, uh, but, but other things are being served by me being on screen. And um, mm. like, I'm a massive fan of great acting. I, 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 I just love great acting. I love watching it. And I, I love, I, I'm, I'm doing something at the moment with, with a phenomenal actor, like a hugely successful actor. Um, who, you know, he won an Oscar two years ago. And, and the buzz that I got on set the other day being with him was not me acting with him, was watching him work out what he... Work, work, work the scene out. Like, he had this long monologue he had to do and he had to do all this fucking business with, like, a, a pin board and then stapling something then answering a phone. And he didn't have it. He didn't have it right when he turned up, which is another thing I thought you had to do when I was younger, was you had to have it right because they're coming yeah. from stage. And I watched this fucking great actor, I watched him work it out, get halfway through the monologue and go, nah, nah, that's not working. Put his teacup back down. What if I did that? What if I did this? And he, I, I got, you actually saw him work and work it out. And you saw him, you know, get his wheels onto the rails, like shove them on and then boom, then no one can stop him. And, and, and I just, I love it. And I, I actually stood there giving him, <laughs> this guy, he's like, he's like a legend. <laughs> I stood there going like, what if you, what if you, what if you did that? Wouldn't that be fucking funny? And it's mainly because we're in a sort of like dark comedy, so mm. I, I can't help myself thinking like, wouldn't that be funny? And he loves it. And we, we, I just like go, what, what if you did that? And, um, and I got far more of, and then, and then it was like, right, turn the camera around, right, Jack, do yours. And I was like, oh, right, okay, right, do it. And I'd do it, get it out of the way. And then I could get back to it. And then get so I've gone, around. well, yeah. I, I, you know, and it's just, you know, I say that to, I've said that to my family, my girlfriend so many times and they just stare at you wanting to smack you in the face and just say, well, that's what you should be, you know. And it, But it takes a lot. I, I mean, the balls that I still have not found to make that leap and I'm, I'm going to make it one day. I will make that jump. But um, that's what I found so exciting about doing this is just what I, I've learned what it is. I've learned to love it in a different place. But my, my love for acting will... Will, will will never disappear, never disappear. That, that the love of on being on stage, the buzz. I was on stage about three years ago recently. That was the last time I was on stage, and I still get such a kick and a buzz from one minute being backstage, and then you cross this line, and suddenly you're on stage. Suddenly, you know you're backstage in some theatre in London, and then you cross the stage, and suddenly you're in like Vienna or whatever the fuck. Mm. And and I would, I, I always push it. It's as much as I can. I, I was acting with a mate in that. Who, um, he's been a best mate of mine for about 10 years. And I would actually stand in the wings. I was playing Angelo in Measure for Measure. And I stood in the wings. And he's a horrible fucker, Angelo. Yeah, he is. And I stood in the wings. And I would, like, say to, say to my mate Adam, I'd say, right, when we go on, when you come on, your right foot has had an argument with your left foot. But your left foot doesn't want, your left foot doesn't want to fucking hear about it. And he'd go, what? And then I'd, like, slap him in the face... And then he kicked me in the arse and then bang, and then I'd go across the line and fucking I'd have to be Angelo. And that, I'd love, I love trying to tip yourself off balance so much. The, the game becomes about how quickly in a split second you can go, right, I'm, I'm Angelo. So my love for acting um, is still there hugely, but I just have, it's been pushed into something else, which are quite, it's quite exciting. I think that's really exciting. And the, mm. obviously the way that you're talking about it, you you mentioned before that right now you don't have the balls, but my God, you've certainly got the passion for it. Yeah, well, that's the, the but that's the other thing is that we've all got we all do we're all brilliant. I started a I started a production company in name only last year uh, to do this 
to do this film. And the, the, the reason that I did that was to trap myself. Because, you know, since I, since I was a kid, all I've done is sit about and talk about, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Wouldn't it be great if we did this? And, and, then that, and then that, you know, moves into you sat in pubs and you do it with other actors that you sit about with. But mm. fuck all comes from it. Yeah. So I thought I would try and trap myself in those conversations and force myself into actually doing it. And so I started this little thing. So, and we made a film last year and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to hopefully make more um, because I'm very good at talking about it, um, but then not necessarily brilliant at putting it into action. But um, I, I think quite hard on myself as well about that because I do do it. But um, Well, I was going to say, it's no, I mean, yeah, the, we've all been in those situations, those places where everybody's talking and no one's actually doing. Yeah, yeah. But I think you are giving yourself a bit of a hard time because you have made film and in this day and age to actually get it up and running and complete, it must be a really, really tricky thing to do. Yeah, it, it was mad hard. But it, it's um, it's just, I've always thought, you know, it's it's, you know, be happy, but, you know, don't be content. I've always thought that. Yeah. Absolutely. I've always thought, like, be happy, you know, and, and it massive, inf- the same emphasis on both is, is very important. But, you know... Uh, well, I've always yeah. had that thing, certainly when you see it, and I'm sure you've seen it with other actors, I find it quite uncomfortable when, you know, a group, a set of actors have finished a scene and they may be sort of high-fiving each other that they've you know, smashed a certain scene. And <laughs> I just think, oh, really? You're content? You're you're happy? No, 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 because, you know, maybe there's something more. You could have yeah. maybe... Is there a bit more? There's always a bit more. That's, I mean, I'm... Uh, one of the reasons I don't watch is because I do go, oh, look, you've just, you've just grown a big beard. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. can't really take myself out of it. But also... Um, oh, uh, I could have done, I, I could have, I should have. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they've used that. Yeah, I wouldn't have used <laughs> that take. Why have they gone from that? So again, you know, not just about the sense of control or lack of control that's taken away from you with regards to the work that that, that, that sometimes you want to do. It's about the finished product, mm-hmm. which is why it's like, I don't really want to go and run around and watch playback. No. Unless it's unless it's something that's to do with a fight scene, or it's a technical thing, or there's a certain light that you know everything that, that needs to be hit for, for to make somebody else's job easier that I can help with, then I've got no interest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Jack, yeah. let's talk about school because I think. It's always a fascinating place to start. Not mm-hmm. that we're starting there, but let's jump back. School. So where were... Because you weren't... Even though everybody go, oh, yeah, well, we're Scottish. You weren't, you weren't born in Scotland, were you? No, so, yeah. So I was, I was born... I'm, I'm actually as English as they come. This is true. Um, <laughs> even though I try and hide it as much as I can. Um, you're, doing a, you're doing a very good job It's so good, good, isn't it? Good at accents. Yeah, I was actually born in Essex um, in 1990. I was born there because my dad uh, lived... My mum and dad lived in Chelmsford in Essex because my dad worked for the 
Bank of Scotland. My dad left school when he was about 15, 16 and worked his way up the Bank of Scotland. And then he ended up getting shifted down to London. Um, and then, yeah, I was born there. Uh, and my brother uh, was born there as well. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, yeah. I actually saw the guy, I saw the guy once um, at a film festival, the guy that invented IMDb. And right. you could tell he invented IMDb because he has walks about with an IMDb badge on, right? <laughs> so like, that'll be him then. Uh, and I, and I, so off. I kind of accosted him and I said like, here, so what's the deal then? Why, why can't I change where, where I'm from, where it says like you're from? Because I said like, I was born in Essex, but I'm not really from, I, 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 I was there for the first two years of my life. And my mum and dad were, grew up in West Lothian and East Lothian up in Scotland and I was brought up here. Uh, in Scotland so and he was like I, I don't know I said well, what do you fucking mean you don't know he said I don't know how you change it and he was like I can tell you how to change your photos I was like no how do I change where I'm from can I put like a caveat because cause I, I, I was always worried as well that people thought I was going to come in talking like that and, and then when I come in talking like I do they'd be like oh hold on miss sold yeah. um, and he didn't know which I found quite amazing so um, that was really helpful so we can carry on walking around with his IMDb badge, but yeah. he, he hasn't got the foggiest on what to do. No, I've I, I got a feeling he didn't invent it. He was just sort of in the room at the time. Um, I don't know, handing stuff out. He's just, he's just the face of it. it yeah. But yeah, I was, bo- I was bo- born there and yeah, two, first two years and then moved up here to uh, Scotland and down to the Scottish borders. Uh, and that's where, where I was where, born. Where about, whereabouts in, in Scotland, Jack? So the Scottish, uh, so this very very southeast, um, that's the borders. It's it is confused. I know it's it's forever been known as the borders. It was actually known as the borders first, um, but we were such unruly bastards in the borders on either side of the border, in Northumberland and Cumbria as well. um, That uh, I think it was James the James the sixth, and James the first. You're James the first when they when he came to power, he. They've they've finally sort of vanquished the border weavers, which were basically like these Cosanotra fucking mafia families that ran both sides of the borders, and it was just this mm-hmm. unruly wasteland that was like the Wild West, um, and they they had no allegiance to either side, to to any crown or any nation. Um, they were just arseholes, um, but really romantic arseholes, um, and they got rid of them. And I think it was James the Sixth that banned the name the borders, the Scottish borders, and made made us take shires. So technically, I'm from Berwickshire, right? And there's Selkirkshire and Roxburghshire. Um, but yeah, so it's right there. It's literally across the border from Northumberland, um, and uh, the other way, about 25 miles south of Edinburgh. What yeah. What age did you move back up there? So we moved, I was I was two. Mm. Um, my brother was a couple of months, and then yeah, I, a little village in the borders um, went to primary school there, Channelkirk Primary School. And there was nine of us right. uh, in the in my year, and there was it was probably about twenty five kids in the school, and there was nine in my year, and there was eight boys and one girl, um, which was quite interesting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I feel sorry. I've not seen that lassie for years. The girl Annie Hunt, she's called. I haven't seen her for ages, but she was the one girl in our year. Poor, poor girl, with eight of us. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, that that was that was primary school, mm-hmm. um, and then went to high school 
in the borders of Elson High School. Uh, was that, well, that must have been a larger affair, surely. Yeah, that was a, a little bit bigger. That was about a thousand kids. Um, mm. How was that way. for you? I mean, I know like the the change from from primary school and then you go into secondary school. It's a big leap anyway because you know you're changing in your own body and everything's oh and there's oh look there's girls and there's groups of lads and do I need to be in this group? But to go from like a school of twenty five to a school of a thousand. I mean, that's like moving from the countryside <laughs> to the city. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing in general, coming from the countryside. Because um, then after that, I went to Glasgow. But um, so it, it, it was a big jump. And I, I remember when I first started meeting people that were from Glasgow or from cities or whatever, and I thought, God, they've all got a fucking edge. Like, they've all got a bit of go in them. Hmm. They've all got, like, uh, they've got this presumption that... that, that um, that, that you think they're shite and they're going to fight you. There's this presumption. This, and why they're so incredible. I remember learning about, you know, the, the th- two, uh, three or four Scottish football managers that all came from the same sort of little part outside Glasgow or in Glasgow, you know, Jock Steen and Ferguson and all these guys, that uh, they seem to come from the same pit. They, or their fathers worked in the same pit and then they ran the three biggest football clubs in the UK. Um, and I was like, how? how? And, and, and just... People from cities just have this natural. To, to, to someone that grew up in that really small area, to me, you, they, they have a. They smell different. They have a different kind of like. They're on the. They're on the front foot, um, and I found that quite quickly that people from. Not this is a massive generalization, but in my experience, we we all whenever we'd go. I remember we went and played basketball once up in Edinburgh or something, and we all shrunk. We just shrunk. Like, we're all just these wee timid wee bastards. And it's just it's just a lot gentler, obviously, out in the countryside. But, you know, sometimes there's a, there's a presumption with rural and, and, and urban that, you know, urban has got far more, uh, you know, uh, hard done by far more sort of poverty or, you know, it's a lot harder than in country is just like the archers. Um, yeah. Which is, which, you know, there is that part of the country as well, but then there's like massive poverty in the country. It's just different and... You know, in, in rural places, particularly in Scotland, you know, there's a, a massive drug problem in rural parts of Scotland, and even the the, the very smallest, you know, it's ripping mm-hmm. the shit out of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I've, there's, there's that confidence, isn't there? The, yeah. the confidence, and there's a certain attitude. I remember when when I was 17, and I, I moved from the seaside town Blackpool, and I was going to London, and it's just also. So, I remember getting off the train and everything was seemed to be whizzing by me. Mm. It was just like a, a, a different speed, a different pace of life. And it, I think, where was I? I think it was like on Oxford Street. And it was like, I Christ. remember being knackered at one point going, why am I walking at the same pace as all these other people? So <laughs> you, just to, you just have to stop and just just slow down a bit. You just, I just wasn't used to it at all. It took me a long time. And yeah, realised I didn't like that pace of life. No, all. no, no. I but that's I did the same thing. I, I was down there for about seven years and then moved back up here. Um, but uh, and then but then, ironically, then started to miss the noise. But um, mm. yeah, it it was. Uh, I remember going. Edinburgh's only about twenty five miles away from the borders, and I just remember. And there's a hill, uh, Sutra Hill, which is a sort of boundary between the borders and the beginning of of Edinburgh Midlothian. And I used to stand outside at night and, and look over at this hill, which is from, from where I grew up. It's about, 
six, seven miles away, but you could see the orange glow above the hill, which is of Edinburgh, mm. and just stand there and be constantly fascinated by it and be like, I want to be there. I want to be in where that noise is. I don't know what's going on, but I want to be there. And when I, yeah. when I started going up to Edinburgh as a kid, you know, when my brother, when he started doing dancing, and I went along with him, and uh, ill-fated that was, but I went along with him and... Uh, and started that's started going on stage and stuff and just the buzz of all that was all linked up in coming from a very 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 quiet place um and i was i was unbelievably quiet as a kid very very shy um very very shy i was you know even when i moved away to drama school <laughs> i used to lock myself up in my, my my halls and just watch um only fools and horses and dad's army and things like that my aim would be I'd finish whatever fucking class we were doing and then I'd run back to the halls in Glasgow and sit in my little halls and just watch, like, BBC comedies. I just did the idea of being with loads of people terrified me. And I think um, as I've gotten older, I sort of it's been a, re- a reverse rebellion of that where I've tried to now live more like a sort of um, outgoing kid now. And, I'd, you know, I've, I've certainly gotten mouthier, uh, a hell of a lot mouthier. It was- Oh, it was that. Who was I listening to the other day? I was listening to an interview with somebody. Oh, it was it was um, it was Vic Reeves, and he was saying oh. that when he started to get invited to 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 you know quote unquote showbiz parties and different events and all that, he realised where he'd come from and what people were thinking of him. So he cranked up the northernness. And became even more northern in these situations, more northern and more louder to make himself heard. Yeah, it's. I I, I remember doing something like that. I went away once to. Uh, um, I think I went to Rada to do. I managed to get on a, a summer course there, just a two week mm. summer course, and 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 it was it was mainly sort of English kids or international kids. And, you know, I got the inevitable, right, you're Scottish, you know how to drink. This is when we all started drinking. I think it was like 17, 18 or something like that. And I was always a very good bullshitter. I was inc- I'm an incredibly good liar, incredibly good liar. Um, I don't know why. I think it's because I just spent my whole childhood just observing people. I always thought that's about why I'd be a great spy, but I never got the tap on the shoulder. Yeah, so but it, also, what it, I think that's what makes a very good actor, is to be an observer. Well, yeah, that, I mean, yeah, but it's but, but that's what I found, and I I I I found I had a sort of talent for lying and making things up on the spot and like that. They said like you're the Scot, you must know drinking games. I didn't know any drinking games, um, but I, I just went right. What you need, uh, Dave? Go out get two bottles of vodka. <laughs> Stevie, put the chairs that way. Johnny, move the table that way. And I was just making this up, and I made this game up where it was. I was just thinking, what could get them fucked as soon as possible. And I, I remember saying, right, you take the bottle of vodka, you put it on your forehead and you try, you try and spin round it like that football challenge where you just go round and you basically run around in a circle and you count to 11, you do it 11 times and then you down as much vodka as you can. And they were like, they were like, oh, typical fucking jock. And I was like, yeah, no, t- <laughs> tell me about it. The boy's back home. Oh, And I, I just making it up. And it was like, you know, because I wanted to people to sort of like me or fear me or... I don't, I don't know. But, yeah, I had an f- incredible facility for lying. <laughs> how, was, how did you find that, that... I mean, I know it's only a small two-week summer course, but how did you find being in that environment and in that, uh, you know, that historic building? Because it comes with a lot of 
other factors, maybe not in two weeks, but certainly yeah. in three years. I mean, I, it, it, I, I remember, like, I, I went to that high school and I quite quickly decided I wanted to be an actor because I had this phenomenal music teacher called Jeff Thompson who would put on these huge musicals every summer in this, in this comprehensive um, and, like, throw the kitchen sink at them. You know, I did everything from, the, from about 12 years old to 18, everything from, like, South Pacific um, to, like, Guys and Dolls and Les Mis, you know, complete with, like, barricades and shit like that. And, oh, my God, like, we just... Everybody just chucked it at it. And it's just this normal high school in the Borders, but it's... The Borders has got this massive um, uh, tradition of operatics. <laughs> it's it's weird. Operatics goes hand in hand in hand with, like, the common ridings. It's It's really... Really strange. Um, well, incredible escapism because oh, it's there. Oh. You can, you can, you can all. It's like community spirit, and you can all get together and you oh, can yeah. do something and oh, you can yeah. make these sets. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it, it, like, but it was like it's old school as well. It's like you you do it in village halls and empty primary schools, and if I can take it more seriously than the profession, you know, it's you would rehearse like three times a week after you'd go to school. Um, but I realised there and then obviously was like, right, so you go to drama school, great, right, where's the best drama school, right, everybody says Radha's. Um, and then I, you know, got a summer job, managed to work it up, work up money and all that kind of stuff to then get on this summer course, did this summer course and just thought I was going to get a tap on the shoulder at the end of it of like, yeah, we've seen your moves and you come, son. And of course, that, that doesn't work like that. And then, yeah. um, you know, audition for all of these drama schools. And I actually didn't get into Radha. I didn't get past the first round at Radha. I didn't get past the, past the first round anywhere, apart from the one I got into, which was the Royal Scottish. Hmm. Um, but I did get invited back many years later at Radha to do a talk to a bunch of students. And that was the first thing I said was, I didn't get in here, yeah. uh, just to say, um, which they didn't like. But uh, yeah, no, I, 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 I didn't, I did find it sort of daunting in sort of like all oh, these sort of hallowed halls kind of, kind of way, uh, but uh, no, it was nothing, uh, you know, special in comparison to mm. other places, no. Was there something, um, I mean, obviously it's meant to be that, that you went to Royal Scottish, but was there something more comfortable being back up there to train for all that time, do you think? I suppose it's very, that's a very difficult question to answer because you've got no comparison, really. Yeah, n- n- no, I didn't... It's funny as well as like, you know, I think my, my Scottishness has sort of grown and developed over the years. Um, you know, like I, was, I wasn't for Scottish independence um, at all. I remember a mate of mine, Guthrie, uh, yeah. and uh, another mate of mine, Adam McNamara, talked to me about it. And I remember going, oh, what a lot of bollocks. What a lot of shite, who cares? Um uh, and my dad actually voted SNP when I was first allowed to vote. I think that was 2010, that first election. And I voted Labour because I thought that's what you do. And I asked my dad what he voted. He said SNP. And I remember looking, I'm like, what are you doing? What a fucking waste of time. And then I remember them on the ballot paper. They were right at the bottom. They were underneath the Scottish Jacobite party, who's like, I don't know, a guy who wants to bring back the Stuart Kings and like us all wear powdered wigs. <laughs> like they were that much of a joke. And but it's but sorry no but it's like it, it so it never occurred to me doing it in Glasgow. I I was I was definitely like oh it's not as good because it's not in London. 
um, for sure. And then, did you did you think that, or was that something that was projected onto you by other people? Because I, I've got friends who went to Royal Scottish and Wales, and even I had it when when I was younger, when I was figuring out where I wanted to go. It was almost like I was told, or I'd heard, or I'd read the path is you have to do it this way, you have to go to London. And it's, you know, I don't know if it's age, hindsight, knowledge, whatever. Uh, it's just simply not true. No, it's, 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 it's not true. I mean, I think a lot, it's, a part of it is true and it's also quite easy for me to say that as someone who has done that, who did, because I finished there and then I went straight down to London and got an agent in London but I was lucky enough to do that because I got a play, Black Watch, by the National Theatre of Scotland that was this huge, mm. successful play, and it went mm. to the Barbican. So I, I was sort of really lucky um, through that. But then I didn't work for a year. I got a, I got this big agent playing this big lead in that play, and then I didn't work for a year. I got a job in the Clissold Arms in uh, Muswell Hill. Um, blagged my way into there. Uh, I couldn't pull a fucking pint. I, pull, I, pull, I pulled a cloud. The first time I pulled a pint, I poured a, poured a cloud, and the guy went, you've not pulled a pint. I went, no. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it, but it, it, it's, it is sort of pumped into you that you do have to go down there. But I, 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 r- rather than it being some sort of, like, consortium of pe- people, the great unknown people that we always say they, you know, rather than they tell us that we have to go down there, it's also just a fact, I think, particularly from Scotland, that you do have to go down there in our profession at some point because it's just more work there and... That's true. More... I mean, my, I was more specifically meaning about the training for the three years. Oh, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, you I, just... I think that was kind of drummed in, drummed in to me, certainly being from um, the northwest. Well, yeah, I mean, you, 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 you'll be exactly the same, and I think that that's just a sort of... I'm not having a go at Rad or anything like that because it's a brilliant mm. place that's produced brilliant actors that I've worked with, but the... Um, you know, it's another great thing that they managed to do down there, which is why they're so successful, the British, with, you know, they're the best in the world at creating a myth. They can create myths really well, create prestige, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think you just naturally think, oh, it must be there. Um, and where, like, you know, particularly up here in, in Scotland, you know, they'll always... Uh, great watchers, the Scots, and will sit and let you make a titty yourself first. They'll, you know, they'll always, you'll hang yourself before they hang you. I think um, very smooth sort of dark operators. And I think they're, they're kind of like that at the Royal Scottish. They're very like, you know, you, they go, oh, really? It's all very like um, Kevin Bridges said that once. Kevin Bridges said if he ever had a, a chat show, he'd call it DJI. Because, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever act he'd have on would finish some big story about, elaborate story about creating their album and go, it came from the, the fruits of my walking around the orchard when I'd lost my father. And he would just go, did you, eh? And, and that, that sort of, um, it's, yeah, and it's sort of instilled in you up there. It was instilled in you there and an incredible work ethic. I remember going to auditions for the first time in London and being thanked for learning my lines. They were like, thank you so much for learning your lines. I was like, what? Uh, right, okay. And, and, isn't that not and, what and, you do? Yeah, isn't that what you do? And uh, <laughs> other drama schools obviously teach that, but they really stuck that to you up there of, um, of hard work. Hard, hard work, and obviously you're taught very early on there that, you know, 
you need to learn how to do accents or you're going to get fucked. You know, and, and, I, and I was shocking at English accent. I was shocking at RP, absolutely shocking at it. It came out very, very posh. And then, and then it wasn't until I moved to London, which is one of the main benefits, I would say, of moving to London if you're from up north or Scottish or whatever. Your accent, your English accent gets better and you're predominantly going to work in that. Um, but uh, there's, there's been a shift with Scotland. A lot of Scottish actors are moving back, that horrible phrase, but they are. And we've yeah. got a film studio in Leith that's being built in Edinburgh. And it's, it's an incredibly creative place, very exciting place at the moment but it does need a hell of a lot more effort and money, but um, it's getting there. Yeah. When did your confidence start to grow throughout being there for three years? It, were you talking before um, when you were saying about you going to classes and then you would just run back and watch old BBC comedies? Were you specifically talking about being at Royal Scottish? Uh, yeah, Royal Scottish yeah. Um, uh, and, and, and high school as well. My, my, my confidence in class, like I was always at the back of class when I was at Royal Scottish. I was just a very embarrassed person, um, very embarrassed when I acted. Um, so I don't, I, and I still am, but I'm working through that. And I think, yeah. um, you know, that, that thing that they say that sounds like a cliche where, you know, they take you to drama school to try and get you out of yourself and get rid of your inhibitions is... Um, it's something that you really should pay attention to. When I, again, sort of arrogance of silence. When I was at drama school, I was like, "No, you fucking don't. You don't. You don't. You don't need that. You don't need that. You just need to know how to act well, you know." And um, so that's all I want. I just want someone. I, I'm just waiting for. It's amazing at drama school. You. Someone said that once to me. Was um, it just seems like you're just waiting, Jack. You're just stood about in the corridors waiting for someone to come along and sprinkle something over you, that will open everything up for you. Um, I remember that day, it was a tutor told me that, basically saying, get your fucking arson gear and like let your inhibitions go. But yeah. it's, it's the easiest thing to say to someone, forget acting, just in general, to say, let yourself go. Oh, you absolutely. Know, it's so easy to say that. It's like it's, you know, we, we've become obsessed as well, it, it, our world at the moment, of be yourself. You know, I mean, what does that mean? And also, it's fucking boring being yourself. <laughs> like yeah we didn't get into this when we were younger <laughs> to to walk on stage and be ourselves yeah ex exactly i yeah I, I i hate but i just mean in life like you know to be yourself and i've also as i've gotten older i've realized as well i quite enjoy trying on different like fucking jackets like like bowie did with like changing himself each album i like mm. i like thinking of yourself in albums and like, I quite like, I went to a, 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 a very posh rugby game uh, just before lockdown, a Scotland-England rugby game. Um, and it's quite a middle-class sport, rugby up here, different to it is in like Wales, for example. And, um, you know, uh, I quite enjoyed being, to, I quite enjoyed having to put a tie on. And like, I went out and I bought chinos. And nice. I, I've never bought chinos. <laughs> and I, I was quite enjoying being like, and like some like brown brogues. I was quite enjoying it. And like, to, you know, I quite, I, and I think like, as long as you, do, you, you know who you are in a sense, or like, you know, you, you know what your beliefs are. I quite love, I quite like the idea of being a hypocrite. I think it's very interesting being a hypocrite and like chucking your morals aside for 10 minutes, exploring what it's like to have opposite morals. I think it's quite fun. And I've I've realised that the older I've gotten, um, 
that there's a lot of fun to be had in that. And you'll find yourself change your morals, actually. Um, it's quite nice to leave yourself at the door sometimes, which I guess is acting as well. Are you quite tough on yourself as a self... Are you self-critical to a fault, Jack? Yeah. I. I mean, hugely. Hugely. But with... But with also a sort of thrumming, like, throbbing, underlying thing of, like, I think way deep down, I think I do think that I know best. <laughs> but, but, I, 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 but I've only realised that recently. I think way down, there is that belief somewhere which sort of avoids total sort of evisceration of, mm. of self. I think it's way down there somewhere. I just can't tap it all the time. But um, I, think, I think both exist, and I think both can exist. I think I, I'm massively critical of myself. Um, but, but there is that other thing that goes, eh, I bet you're not that shit, are you? Or, or you are actually brilliant. And that's not about acting, that's just about every, everything mm. in life. Um, and I've sort of grown easier as I've gotten older with having the two things live side by side because I think it can make for interesting situations. Yeah. But are you good at slowly over the years giving yourself less of a hard time? Uh, yeah, yeah. Because I find, I find it comes in waves. Mm-hmm. Personally speaking, especially it, over the past year, it does. It does. Yeah, I, it does. Yeah, it does come in waves. And but you, you know, the I, I think what's also quite like um, common as well is when you don't feel like that, and when you mm. feel like really fucking funny, or you feel really sexy, that you go, oh, oh God, no, right, mustn't revel in that. <laughs> um, but I've realised. That I, you know, there is a sort of, um, like I said, I, I've I've grown into sort of obnoxiousness. <laughs> I've grown into it and given myself permission to do it, and mm. I, I think I've probably pushed it quite far um, to see what are the upper limits of it. And I've gone right, I'll keep a hold of that bit, and I can have a bit of that because um, if you if you're just one thing the whole time, then you're an arse. Um, yeah. But, um, so. I think more, it's less that I've like learned how to give myself not as hard time. It's more I've learned um, to sort of totally entertain all these different sides of you and not shut them down just because they're not, quote, you and um, really enjoy them as long as they're not to the detriment of like your surroundings or loved ones or whatever. But um, I've got, I, but that's also because I, I come from a family that very early on, is very quick to sort of, you know, not critical, but very, like, if you if you wore a fucking hat, if you thought, I'm going to wear this hat today, and you walked into, like, my dad, my dad would just go, oh, hat. You go, all right. Like, there's just, it's like, oh, that's a choice. Ruined. Yes, you're, you're just, ruined it for it's me just now. you're just completely destroyed in an instant. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, and it's because it's, and it's, I, I've been very lucky to grow up in that don't take yourself seriously at all. You know, but also like reveling in taking yourself seriously sometimes and seeing where that'll run as well. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> how are you with authority? Because you were talking before about how you used to be, and this is not a quote that you said, I'm just generalizing, but you said something about being quite gobby. 
Yeah, yeah. And and I used to be that with it was when I was made to feel, and I'm I'm purely talking from a work environment when I was made to feel that even though I was in a work environment, I was placed in a school environment. So there seemed to be right. some sort of hierarchy. So it wasn't right. a collaborative process. It was, you will do this because I am telling you to. And that's red rag to a ball for me. But now, over the years, I have mellowed as yeah. much as I can. <laughs> well, the, the, uh, you know the actor Peter White? Yes, I absolutely do. I saw him in um, Uncle Vanya on oh, the God. telly over Christmas, which was just... I was talking to a friend about it before me and you were talking. What I yeah. wish I'd have been in the theatre to see that, even yeah. though it translated fantastically over over the screen. But, yeah, of course, Peter's an incredible man. Oh, he's... Phen- he, I, I did a play with him, I think the same director. I did uh, Electra, a big Greek tragedy with him, um, and he, he uh, one of the great things I've, that stuck in my head is he said to me, you've got to learn how to box smart. He said that about us in our profession, when you feel like exactly the situation you just described. Mm. You've got to box smart and you've got to, be, you've got to be very, you've got to be present enough to be able to make that choice. And he said, just learn how to be box, just box smart, Jack. And um, it took me a while to sort of realise what he meant and uh, I was in a situation very recently, it's exactly the situation you've just described with a director. And uh, it was very early on and I very quickly, it happened and I suddenly went, oh my God, that's ridiculous what that person's just said. That's fucking... But I went box smart and I thought, right, I could do that. But then I think that would fuck a lot of things up. It would maybe satisfy that bit. Or I could do this and ultimately... Um, you know, knock that person out in that way, so to speak, mm-hmm. metaphorically, um, and it worked. And um, and that was from Peter White saying that box box yeah. clever and 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 um, but but in the terms of like the obnoxious sort of gobbiness, I've just I, I I've I truly believe that you should you should always have your answers questioned. You really should. Um, my my dad said that to me. It sounds like I'm fucking reading fortune cookies, but my my dad said that to me. My dad got made redundant in the crash in 2008. I came home and he stood in the kitchen. I came home from high school and he's never, he'd never in the kitchen at that time. He was always coming in about seven o'clock yeah. and he told me and he'd been let go. He'd been working for the bank for something like 40 years and the guy had come in and said, you're going. And I said, and I remember asking him, sort of like, how the fuck did it all happen? Because <laughs> I never understood it. Um, you know, uh, the money, uh, banking, I never understood it. And dad said, he said, because... Everybody, everybody presumed that the guy above them knew better than them. He said, that, that's why it happened. Everybody thought that the guy above had a better idea than they did. And because they have letters after their name or before their name, that they'll, have, they'll know what they're doing, he says, which is just bollocks. And from that point on, I started living in that and, and just th- you, you must have your, your answers questioned and pushed it way too fucking far sometimes you know, being on set, sort of like turning into like a five-year-old kid going, I bet why, I bet why, I bet why. And not for the fuck of it, that all comes from 
if if you don't feel that that person, I mean, I don't know the, the 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 situation you've just described, but I think if you had complete faith in that person, or you really liked their work or whatever, then you'd you would do it. Of course, well, you it, do. well, it boils down to trust. Of course, it does. And and also, it, you see, you say that about youth saying things like fortune cookies, but it's nuggets of wisdom that someone like as knowledgeable as Peter would say yeah. to you. And it it does take a bit of time to filter through and you don't know when you're going to, when that light bulb's going to go off in you and you go, oh, that's what they meant. And it's amazing because in those situations, I've just really learned about, right, what battles need to be fought and how can I fight them as smart, as smart as I can make it and that's not uh, detrimental to me as a person. Yes. You know, to come out of it and learn which battles are worth fighting and which I just need to remove myself from the situation and just take a step back. Exactly. And, and the, the other thing I've learned is one of the greatest things to possess is humility. I think mm. in, our, in our profession in particular, if you've got humility... Because there are very pressured situations, you're working with very fiery, creative people or whatever, and people can blow a gasket, people can say the wrong thing or whatever. But I think as long as you've got humility, as long as you're able to then afterwards go, look, sorry, I was a bit out of line there, shouldn't have come yeah. out like that. Yeah. Most people will forgive you. Absolutely. And, and the, the opposite, pride, is just... Pride in our profession sometimes is such a fucking waste of time. It's such a waste of time. It's such a waste of money. You know, as long as you can go home and look yourself in the mirror, right, that's enough. Pride on set is such a waste of time. If someone's got a better idea than you, no matter who you are, if you have the brains to go, oh, fuck, that is actually quite a good idea, swallow your pride. and Take it. And, and, and fucking run with it. Oh, my God. Yeah, I would absolutely. Spend, I, did, I did a film with Steve Merchant, directed it. He's a hero of mine, Steve. And I was playing this part that I didn't really know what I was doing and sometimes Steve would get sort of like, eh, I don't know, Jack, maybe... And I'd be like, I don't know how to give you that, Steve. And Steve would just do it. He would do the line. And i go, right, I'll just take that. Whatever Steve just did, turn the camera on, I'm just going to copy that. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, talk about learning from somebody who maybe in that situation is more knowledgeable from you because sometimes you go, I'm, I'm stuck. I was talking to... a a director before Christmas online and we were working through a scene and I went, and on paper, it was a very simple scene, but for some reason I had a right block on it. And yeah. I said, I, look, I genuinely don't know how to play this and I've tried playing it a few different ways and I'm just, maybe I'm running around and tripping myself up here, but I'm finding this really difficult. And he yeah. went, what about if you just, just, and he said one thing I went right I'm just going to take it from. I'm just going to do it like that that's yeah. the way I'm going to do it just nick it just um, absolutely we're frozen. oh we're frozen oh there you are. and we're back we're frozen well look that maybe that's the lords of the internet saying that we should leave it there Jack yeah. but it's been incredible talking to you I've really really enjoyed it it's been really lovely yeah you too man um, oh we're not going to freeze as we're saying bye, are we? That'd be horrible. That's good. We can just imagine it. Are we back? Yeah. Oh. We're back. Thank God. Because I was just saying... How can you? Oh, we're back. 
I was just saying it'd be really horrible to freeze as we were saying goodbye. I know. Um, <laughs> but uh, thanks so much for coming on. I'm really, really made up. It was lovely. You know we don't talk about work that much, but, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I know. Oh, did we end up talking about work quite a lot? No, 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 no. No, we didn't. We didn't. That's what I'm saying. Oh, right. You know that we, you know that we don't. But um, I will urge people who haven't watched some of your recent work to uh, to dig it out because it's uh, it's all very choice stuff. I'm not going to embarrass you. But um, <laughs> Jack Loudon, thank you so much for coming on. You take care and I will speak to you very soon. All right, man. Thank you. And another episode is done. Do you know what? It feels really nice to be back. Um, obviously, I say we're back. Um, yes, we are. But what with... Mm, yeah. Um, it's baby steps. It's baby approach because I'm, I'm going to be homeschooling every other week for the foreseeable... So, look, that's going to be mega difficult to record. Um, So we're going to try and get a lovely bumper crop sorted as soon as we can so we can start get back to being regular and dishing them out every Thursday. I think that'd be really nice, wouldn't it? So, uh, should we just do it? I think we should. Okay, well, look, a massive thank you to Jack for giving his time um, and for you for downloading and subscribing and telling your friends supporting us as you do on Patreon patreon.com forward slash the two shot podcast if you can support us by throwing whatever you can once a month every little helps no I'm not we're not sponsored by that supermarket I shouldn't have said that should I but yeah you know which one um yeah well that's it I'm gonna really try and get back to you next week but until then you take care and stay safe I've been Craig Parkinson he's been producer Griff and this has been the two shot podcast I'll see you soon Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers. Looking for a new podcast to listen to? Here's what we love, courtesy of ACAST Recommends. Hey, I'm Bert from The Burt Show. You have people on a show that really don't like morning shows. Stealing an entire school bus, I gotta be honest, that is my dream still. Why take initiative when you can take a nap? I like keeping it real and I like keeping it gross. <laughs> so we created a show that we really wanted to hear. It's real and it's funny and we will talk about our personalized. We're not scared of anything. Okay, if you want this prize right here, you're gonna have to work for it. What I love most about this show is everybody's vulnerability. And though our perspectives may be different, we're 
working together is actually fun. We put the fun in dysfunction. I think it's unlike anything that you've heard before. The Burt Show. New episodes every weekday and the weekly top 10 on Saturdays. Listen to this show on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast. 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 Acast.